0: Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start reading at verse 18, and just read through verse 20. Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I've titled the message tonight, making known the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity to look into thy precious word. Thank you that we can have your word preserved for us in our own language, passed down through time, but kept. By your providence. I pray that you help us to have receptive hearts, ears to hear, and wills to learn and obey. That we might glorify you in our sojourn here on earth. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, mystery, a mystery is a hidden, it's defined here, the word is defined as a hidden mystery purpose, or counsel, and here, of course, referring to the mystery contained and announced in the gospel. If you go back to chapter 3 and verses 1 through 9, Paul talks about this mystery that was made known by him in Ephesians 3, verse 1, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me to you word. A dispensation is a is a a length of time, basically, a period of time. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, or we might say in other dispensations, other periods of time. And he's talking here about the law particularly "...was not made known unto the sons of man, as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs unto the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, whom less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." and to make all men see. That's the idea of making known. Make all men see, or understand, what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So when he's talking about a mystery, he says it's really something that, uh, a hidden purpose or counsel that was kind of clouded before. It wasn't really made plain. You know, as as the... As the, the apostles and the church at Jerusalem began to receive the gospel and to understand the gospel and were challenged with, remember in Acts chapter 15, they were challenged with the Gentiles coming into the church and not having to keep the law to do that. James then quoted from the Old Testament scriptures, but it was something that was kind of hid. They didn't really understand it until then. And so it was hidden before. The sad thing is, to many, the gospel is still a mystery. It's still a mystery. To some, the gospel is praying every day. To others, it's you just believe. And what they mean is to believe that he is. Okay, They believe that he is. That he does exist. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived and died on a cross. But they really have not considered who he is, nor what his death accomplished. You know, he is another way, another way. Quote unquote, added to being good and doing good. You know, believe in him and Mary, or other credits of other saints. That's Catholicism for you, and others. Or, to some, it's just, you just need to recognize Jesus as a Savior. See, but really none of those fit a Bible definition of what the gospel is. Some of those things are true, are parts of the gospel. But Paul said here that he wanted utterance to be given unto him, that he would be able to make known the mystery of the gospel, to make it known boldly. Uh, The idea of make known is to be brought to the knowledge of God. And, you know, that's what we need to do as witnesses, is to to endeavor to bring people to a true knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in John 17, 17, 26, and I have declared unto them thy name. In other words, I've revealed, I've shown to them thy name. And I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. You, Jesus made the Father known to his disciples. In John chapter 14, <coughs> excuse me, John 14, Thomas, uh, or not Thomas, Philip, in verse 7, Jesus, it says, in John 14, 7, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth or it satisfieth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast thou, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, how sayest thou then show us the Father? So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because we are one. Remember he said in John John 10 was it Gen, John 10:30 I and the Father are one. So he was to make he made known to his disciples who the Father was. So it's our job as ambassadors and we are ambassadors. Paul said in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. You know, we are the ambassadors for Christ. 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5 t- talks about that we, are, we have been given the, the ministry of reconciliation and we are an ambassadors we are his ambassadors we've been given his authority to take the gospel to other people who have not heard uh, an, an ambassador has the authority of the sending nation to represent them so we have the authority given to us by God to take the gospel to others And so our desire should be to make known. You know, our purpose is not to get more people here. Yeah, that's what a lot of churches do. They just have programs to get more people in. Now, we would like to get more people in. But you can get more people in without giving them the gospel. It's not hard to get more people in. I mean, I know there's ways that we can get more people in. But it would be watering down the gospel. That's what many of them do. It's a club. It becomes a club then, not a church. Now, our purpose is not just to get more people in. Our purpose is to get more people into the kingdom of God. It is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of the church. The church is the God-ordained organism that gives out the gospel. But it's not the gospel. It's not our gospel. It's Christ's gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so we need to make known that gospel. Now, I want to define some terms here. And this is where people get confused. Uh, I, I had a guy yesterday that I challenged. And he finally didn't like it, so he shut the door. But, you know, he said he prays every day. And I really, what I really want to say is big whip to do. That means nothing. Buddhists pray every day. Is, Muslims pray every day. You know, all kinds of false religions pray every day. That doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. And then he got talking about, you know, he believes. And I said, well, the devils also believe. And that's when he got upset. See, we did not understand what the Bible means when it uses that word believe. You know, a lot, there's a lot of independent Baptists will, quote, Acts sixteen thirty one that says, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." See, you don't need to repent; you just need to believe. But what does that word "believe" there mean? You know, there's two definitions, at least two definitions, to the word "believe" in the scriptures. In Acts sixteen thirty one, that word "believe" there means a conviction full of joyful trust that Jesus is the Messiah the divinely appointed author of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God, co-joined with obedience to Christ. You know, so that really means that, that you believe that he is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, that he is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul, and I've, I've told people, Paul didn't have to tell the Philippian jailer you need to repent because he already had. He showed it by his what he did. I mean, he was ready to take his own life. And he sprang in and said, what do I have to do? That's repentance. He was willing to do anything. And and so he just said, believe on it. But it's a conviction full of joyful trust. That word trust is important. Another part of that definition was to have a faith directed unto, believing or in faith to give oneself up to. So you're giving yourself up to believe there means to give yourself up to It's to yield or surrender to we would say. Now, in James 2:19 the Bible says that the devils believe also and tremble. Now the word believe there means a mere acknowledgement. In fact, go to James chapter 2 and verse 19 and in the context I believe de- demonstrates that force James chapter 2 and verse 19. James 2, verse 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God. So, simply what you're believing here is, not that you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ, you're simply acknowledging that there is one God. That's all this is about. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. In other words, the devils believe there is one God. They will acknowledge that but they will not give themselves up to. And that's what the word believe in Acts 16.31 means, and the word believe in the Gospel of John many times means to give oneself up to. Uh, So so when it says in the Bible, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't simply mean that, you know, know, well, I believe there's a Jesus. I remember when we started this church, before we ever had our first service. Brother Green and I went up toward Franklin somewhere in a newer development and met with this guy who who um talk he did he did the Bible studies. He would he would fill pulpits and preach in churches and and he was arguing with the um I forget what they call it now. he gave me some books and it was a Southern Baptist statement of faith. Uh but anyway and, and he and I remember when we were leaving, you know, he found out I was an evangelist. And he said, oh, you probably have thousands of converts. And I wouldn't say, sorry, I'm not Billy Graham. But his, his whole thesis was, if, and he, you know, his wife led everybody at her work to the Lord. And this is how he led everybody at the work to the Lord. You get to him to acknowledge that there is a Jesus. And if you believe there is a Jesus, then you're saved. All you did was make them a twofold more child of hell. You gave them a false hope. It's more than just believing there is a Jesus, or acknowledging that that Jesus died. And you know, there's more to it than that. You know, it doesn't mean we can't simply mean that Jesus lived on Earth and exists somewhere in eternity today. It's more than that. You know, the Bible makes it clear that believing in Jesus is not what we call easy believism. It's not simply saying, I believe Jesus existed, and then go on living life, never giving Jesus another thought. It's not just saying, I believe in Him as a historical fact. It is recognizing Him as the Lord of the universe, as well as Lord of your life. You're believing in Jesus. Someone said, believing in Jesus is not the same as saying, you believe the world is round. So we'll look at four things, I think it's four here, Um, things about making known, we understand making known the gospel. First of all, Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. We understand that Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. And two thoughts here. First of all, accepting him as for who he is. You know, many people really don't understand who Jesus is. They think him some historical figure, some man who died, who who was crucified on a cross and died and he was not guilty of his any crimes and, and, you know, it was a terrible thing and he's a good teacher. He's a good model for us to follow. That's not who he is. That's not who he is. He is the God man. He was God in flesh. He was God, we say, God incarnate. Look, go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I remember when I, when Pastor Webb was teaching in the Bible Institute some years ago, and um, he was teaching the book of John, and he said, he said, I want you to go through the book of John and underline every time Jesus said, I am. What does I am mean? It's the name of Jehovah. Let's just look at a few of them. John chapter 8. Let's start there. John chapter 8 verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Verse 16. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. Verse 18. I am one that bear witness of myself. And the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Verse 23. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, what's different about the word he? It's in italics. Which means it was not in the, in the Greek. It's not in the original. It was added in English to make sense. Grammatically and so on. So, basically what he said is, before, the, you know, uh, where am I? Verse 24. You know, if you believe not that I am the I am. That's what he's saying. If you don't believe I'm the I am, you shall die in your sins. So, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, the Son, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to die in your sins. You're going to hell. Verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am, and that word he again is italicized, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And again, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. There it's very plain. Chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 9. Uh, some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. And the word he again is in italics. Verse 39. And Jesus said, for judgment I am come to this world, that they which see might not see, see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And then chapter 10, verse 7, Then said Jesus unto them, Again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 9, I am the door. Verse 10, The thief cometh not for to steal and to kill, but to destroy. I am come, that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Verse 36, Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest because I said, I am the Son of God. Of course, chapter 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 13, verse 19. Chapter 13, verse 19. uh, Now I tell you before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am, and there's that word he again in italics. Then chapter 18. Verses 5 through 8, when he's in the garden, they answered him, Jesus, Jesus saith unto them, I am, and the word he is in italics. And Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am, he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus, and Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Now all the he's there in that passage are in italics. Of course, in John ten thirty he said, I and my father are one. You know, Matthew one, and you know, this is this is this goes all the way back to his birth, the that he is God, and in Matthew one twenty one says, and she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, now I want you to look at this. This this and I I never noticed this before. But look at Matthew chapter one, verse twenty one. Till today. Matthew one, verse twenty one. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now what is different about that name there? It is all caps. In the Old Testament, when you see the word Lord, and it's all caps, what's that mean? Speaking of Jehovah. So here the Spirit of God, who's the author of the Word of God, is declaring to us that this one who's going to take away our sins, save us from our sins, is Jehovah. He's Jehovah. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Same thing. Luke 1, 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And again, all Caps. And then again in chapter 2 in verse 21. It says in eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child. His name was called Jesus. And again it's all caps. Now I didn't check it extensively. But I think this is the only three times in the New Testament it's all caps. But it's declaring to us that this one who was born is Jehovah. It means Jehovah is salvation. See, our salvation comes through Jehovah, the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He's the I Am. So we need to accept Him for who He is. He was the, and Christ, Christ was the ordained or chosen sacrifice for sin. Again, Matthew one twenty one tells us that it was He that would save us from our sins. John 1.29, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, he's referring back to the Old Testament to the Lamb who is a type of the one who would come and take away sin. The Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. The God-ordained choice to take away our sins. Ephesians 1.7 tells us, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption. In whom? In Christ. He's the God-ordained or chosen sacrifice for sins. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. You see, we have to accept the fact that he is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. And he is God. He was God, he is God, and always will be God. And so we have to accept that he is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. There's no other way. Him and him alone. He's the only way to heaven. You know, one of the criticisms. uh, You know, sometimes I see things online that are amusing. And I was looking up something the other day. And it's a Southern Baptist website, a guy that works with Lifeway. Bookstores, and he put out a Twitter feed that said uh, 15 things, 15 words that come to mind when you hear the word Baptist. And you know, first one was legalists. Um, you know, potluck was in there, offerings, um, baptism by immersion, um, fundamentalists. Um, you know, there's a lot of things like that, and dogmatic was one of those. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of them that are, as far as I'm concerned, they're right. What does fundamental mean? You know, I don't. I'm not for fundamentalism. That's a movement, but a fundamental approach to the Bible means you take it literally. You interpret it literally. I, I'm a fundamentalist. I'm not a part of the fundamentalists. I used to be. Um, don't want any part of that anymore. But anyway, that's a movement of men, and it's not fundamental, really. Because they lay aside certain doctrines for unity's sake, just like the liberals do. But anyway, that's another whole subject. But my, my point is, that, you know, they're dogmatic. There's only one way. There's only one right way. There is only one way. Jesus said in John ten nine, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and find passion. It's by me. It's exclusively by the Lord Jesus Christ. John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is narrow. It is dogmatic. It is straightforward. First uh, Timothy two five. There is one God and one me between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Hebrews 1, 3 says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, of course, speaking about the Son, that's clear from verse 2, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, Jesus Christ by himself purged or cleansed or or." took away all of our sins by himself modernists and Roman Catholics hate this verse. in fact all the perversions of the Bible drop out by himself, many of them do they drop out by himself uh, by himself see he he is. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. There is no other way. In John, in his gospel or in his uh, epistle, in First John chapter two, it said, "My little children, these things write on you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So He is our atonement." He's the one that can make us at one with God, and He alone. So we must understand and make people understand that He is the only acceptable sacrifice. He is the only way to heaven. There's no other way. So a person can no longer trust their own good deeds, their church attendance, or religious system, whatever that might be. Neither can they trust in other gods or other religions. And it frees us from trying to earn our way. Because He is the only way. It's no longer like, I have to walk a tightrope to make sure I'm in. No. It's Him. It's all Him. It's all Him. Only Christ, only God through Christ can forgive us Of our sins. And you are only going to heaven. On what Christ has done. For you. Not what you do. For him. You know service is another whole subject. We're not talking about service. We're talking about salvation. So he is the only way. Thirdly. True belief in Christ. Is a yielding or a surrender. To the Lord. Let's look at a couple of verses of scripture here. Uh, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 37, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10, something's wrong here, Matthew chapter 10, sometimes I get things wrong, as you all heard probably caught this morning that Adam was on the ark, Matthew chapter 7. Verse uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. i get it right here, Yet yeah. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So he's talking about we have to lose our life to get his life. Uh, go to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And again, verse 34. When he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now let's look at an example of a man who wouldn't lose his life. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 18 certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, He was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? See, here was a man who came to Jesus, seemingly desiring to have eternal life. He says, What must I do? And Jesus, you know, tells him the commandments. He said, I kept all these." He said, Well, there's one. Sell all you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. And really what he said was, no. No. You know, there was others in the Bible that did that. One of them was a publican. He was little of stature. He said, if I've taken anything, I'm going to restore it to fourfold, and I can give my goods to the poor. See, he was willing to lose his own life to follow Jesus. This man wasn't willing to give up his life. You know, it's a matter of he would not surrender his will. He was covetous. He valued his wealth more than he valued the eternal life that Jesus was offering him. You see, when you trust Christ, you truly believe in Him, in Christ, it means that His ways will become your ways. His desires for you will become yours. And He will become the one you base your life upon. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. True belief means commitment also. It means dependence. And that's the fourth thing, being committed to Christ. The word committed, the word commit or committed it's used in the Bible in 1 John chapter 3. So what's it mean, church? 1 John 3. What's the word commit or committed mean? Continual practice or it's our practice of life. It's a lifestyle. So, you know, when we put our trust in Christ, it's a new way of life. Again, as Mark described it, as, as the Lord described it there in the Gospel of Mark, you give up your life for his. And you gain eternal life. You're not a loser. You're not losing. You're gaining. Who was, um, was the guy that said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to get what he cannot lose? John Eliot. So it's a new way of life. You know, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, uh, And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the idea there is of a continual process, a new creation. So when a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, it's, it's a choice we make to trust him and, he, and to follow him, not just on Sundays, but as a lifestyle. You have know, to follow him as a spouse, a student, a worker, a boss, a parent, in any, any and every other area of life. Someone said, quote, When Jesus saves us, he saves us from the life we were living, rooted in sin, to a new life rooted in obedience to God, unquote. How you live your life should change. We have a new master. There was Watchman Nee that one time led this man and lived up in the mountains. He was a missionary here in China. And he led this man to the Lord, lived up in the mountains. And, and the custom was for this man was he would take a shot of alcohol before every meal. That was his continual practice. Watchman Nee went back to visit him a little while later in in the conversation the man told him, he said, uh, he said, I went to go through my typical eating ritual and I I got my alcohol down and I poured it in a glass and he said, Boss resident said no. See, the spirit of God all of a sudden lives within said See, there should be a new a new way of life, of, of living in obedience to Christ. Uh, we should live it out. You know, John 8 31, Jesus said this. Then said Jesus, those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? In Colossians chapter 3, or uh, Colossians chapter 1, and verse 21 through 23. Paul, writing the Church of Colossae, says something similar to this. In Colossians one21 21 21-23, he says, And you, that were sometime alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away, From the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and made a minister. So he says, if you continue in what you heard. See, some hear. We, we, We read this in the parable of the sower. Some hear and they respond. Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Until. Until. It means sacrifice. Or giving up something. Giving up my will. Oh no. I can't do what I want. I can't live to please my flesh. I'm not talking here about sinless perfection. You understand. I'm talking about there should be a desire to please the Lord. And, 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 and you know, I've seen them. They've been here. And everything was great and oh wonderful for a while. But all of a sudden, not for me anymore. In fact, one person said, I thought I'd just try it for a while. And Paul says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You see, the Bible teaches that those who are truly born again will continue. In their Christian life. Matthew 10.22 says this. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end. Shall be saved. Matthew 24.13. But he that shall endure to the end. The same shall be saved. The word endure here means. To persevere absolutely emphatically. Under misfortunes and trials. To hold fast to one's faith in Christ. It simply means. That you will hold fast. Until the end. That's what it means to endure. In Mark chapter 4, verse 17, it, 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 it said, this is in the parable of the sower, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So, they, in other words, they, they oh, this, this is great, this is wonderful for a time. But all of a sudden, there's an affliction. And that's what Paul said if he said, if you continue. Grounded and rooted in the things you've heard, settled. Of course, Timothy tells us in First, Timothy 4.3 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap of themselves teachers, having itching ears. And that's what we see a lot of today. People want their ears tickled. Now you might say this, well, preacher. When I got saved, I didn't know all this about Christ. So did I really get saved? Well, let me ask you this. Did you accept it as truth when you heard it? You, know, you maybe didn't understand it when you made a profession of faith and you, when you got saved. But when you heard it, did you accept it as truth? And That's what it means if you continue. In other words, if you will continue to accept the truth, I didn't understand all this when I got saved either. We call that growth. See, we don't have to understand all this, but God wants. You know, Paul said, "I want to make known. I want to make clear." And as we grow in the Lord, of course, as we grow, we're going to be more clear and more clear in presenting the gospel. But, but as, but the, but the matter of fact here is that that we will endure. We will continue. If if we're truly born again, we will accept the truth when we hear it. You know, are you continuing to receive truth? Correction? You know, saved people receive truth. Jesus said to his disciples, he said about his disciples, I have given them thy word, and they have received it. So are you what did you understand all this when you got saved? Probably not. But do you receive it? That's truth. Do you act on it? That demonstrates True belief, true trust in Christ. Then one final thing, of course, we are empowered to live for Christ. The power to live for Christ is, again, it's not of ourselves. We, We can't save ourselves. Salvation is not of us. It's simply receiving. And living the Christian life is not of us. It's of the Spirit of God that He gives us when we receive Him. He's the one that gives us power. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And again, it's, it's a matter of continuing in faith. Continuing in faith. John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Another. In other words, I'm leaving you. I'm the comforter you have now. You're Jesus saying, I'm the comforter you have now. But I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. But I'm not going to leave you. And the word comforter is paraclete, and the idea of one that comes alongside and helps. You know, Hebrews uses the word to succor. It's an old English word that means to help, to undergird, to aid. And so I'm going to give you this this another comforter in my place, is really what he's saying, that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you so so we have been given the spirit of god to give us the power to live for christ you know what gave peter the power peter and john the power to stand before the sanhedrin and say we are going to obey God. We ought to obey God rather than men. It was the Spirit of God. What gave Paul the power to stand before Felix and the, and the Sadducees and say, You know, I'm not good and for the, for, the, for the resurrection, am I called in question this day? It was the Spirit of God. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So just like we yield ourselves to Christ in salvation, we continually yield ourselves to the Spirit of God to empower us to live the Christian life. So there will be... You know, Jesus said, I said this morning, you know, two times in the, in the Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, By their fruits you shall know them. You know, in a sense, we're fruit inspectors. Because we are to examine. You know, that's what we do when somebody comes forward and says, I want to get baptized. You know, what we do, we, we examine them. Okay? We examine them, we begin to question them about their salvation. What does baptism mean? We're looking for some evidence or some fruit. There ought to be fruit in a person's life. It's not all the same. Not everybody yields the same amount of fruit. You might have two apple trees that are the same kind. I bet he has some apple trees in your yard. Some of those apple trees probably bear more apples than others. But there is some fruit. There should be some fruit. And so, God wants us to make known the gospel clearly. And of course, you know, to do that, we first have to be born again. That's the starting point. You know, we have to have a time in our life when we repented of our sin and trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Make a decision to believe in Him and follow Him. You know, have you trusted him? And then we need to make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, maybe there's somebody. You know, this is what we do with these Bible studies. What are we doing? We're trying to make known clearly what the gospel is. If you have somebody you're witnessing to, trying to help, take one of these books, study it, and then study it with them. So that you can make clearly known what the gospel really is. That they might come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, our desire is here is to see people come to the knowledge of the truth. Through Christ, our Lord and Savior. So might God help us to make known clearly the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Is it evident in your life? It can be. God desires it to be. You'll just submit yourself to him.